G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We'll occasionally have a conversation on 2020 about the proliferation of drugs and alcohol. Our conversations are usually around the narrative that's commonly portrayed in the media that looks like propaganda more than just a conversation or a narrative. Propaganda for an industry chipping away at the idea of decriminalising drugs like marijuana and popularising a drinking culture. Well, we're turning our attention today to alcohol with a focus more specifically on one of the extreme downsides of alcohol consumption, and that is alcohol during pregnancy. Tomorrow... On Thursday, the ninth hour, the ninth day of the ninth month, it will be International Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Day 2021. Now, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, FASD, is an umbrella term that's used to describe a range of disabilities and effects that may arise from prenatal alcohol exposure. It's widely recognised as the most common preventable cause of birth defects and brain damage in children. Our special guest today says FASD is the leading cause of mental retardation in Western countries. That there are 428 distinct disease conditions that occur in people with FASD and that fetal alcohol spectrum disorder has no cure, but the good news is it's 100% preventable. Shane Varco is back with us today. He is the CEO of Dalgano Institute, one of the 300-plus member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane Varco, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always good to be here. Hey, Shane, there's lots of reasons why a woman may consume alcohol during pregnancy. I wonder if you've got any general thoughts before we get into any specific issues around FASD. Well, drinking culture is something that's obviously been with us for a long time. And in the last 10 years, as we've discussed previously, we have seen a, a national push back against you know uh, excessive consumption which has been a good thing obviously the narrative shifted a little bit in that space which is great and and particularly about seven or eight years ago there was a real binge uh, a real problem around binge culture with women drinking um particularly sort of the 25 to 35 uh, demographic of young mums often uh, and uh, again uh, this whole there's a whole culture sort of emerged around not just um a social phenomena where we, you know, we all get together and have a drink, and but it, was, it became a uh, and again the market and of course the industry really cashed in on this. It became a a, a, a thing, so that uh, we had the one of the terrible terrible uh, caricatures that sort of emerged was the idea of yummy mummies and their sort of mid morning, you know, wine bar sessions, and and so we had all sorts of issues presenting with you know women. Uh, 
driving intoxicated and, and being intoxicated before midday. And so some of the old taboos were all shattered. You know, you don't drink before midday, you don't drink before six o'clock. Those things were all well and truly shattered. But but what happened was, you know, it, it sort of became a coping mechanism. So what, what was happening was there was in this particular instance of, you know, this emergence that came about about seven or eight years ago and sort of went on for about three or four years and now started to curb, was the idea that this was a coping mechanism, you know, and in fact there were some some boutique wineries that were developing products, wine-based products, to deploy into the market and they were even using labels like uh, Mummy's Little Helper and, uh, you know, uh, Yummy Mummy's Coping Mechanism and and all these really bizarre names, it all has a humour, but the idea was uh, mums, you know, or women, young women, particularly women in, with mother, in motherhood, needed this to actually cope with the day. So they tran- transitioned a self-medicating model, which is quite distressing, into a social phenomenon that was kind of acceptable. So that's kind of been unravelling recently. So that's just one of the reasons. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, the demographic of women drinking excessively has now become a real problem. In fact, they're rivaling the men uh, in some instances, they're actually exceeding men, according to the data that we're looking at in the literature. Well, I was going to ask you about lockdowns right now because uh, you're in lockdown. You're in Melbourne, yeah, we are. and uh, yeah. you know, and the sorts of things that we'll occasionally see coming into the headlines: uh, the idea that uh, people are drinking a whole lot more during lockdown, uh, the idea of uh, the fact that you're talking about self-medicating, and I imagine that loneliness. And uh, some of the challenges, if you have no work, uh, if your business is going broke, uh, all sorts of issues like that can lead to this idea of need for self-medicating. And, and uh, you know, that glass of wine or that bottle of beer uh, may be just the sort of thing that uh, that could get you into all sorts of trouble here, Shane. Yeah, look, I think the, the COVID issue is an, another layer again, and I'm glad you raised that. I mean, we didn't want to just try and jump into straight into that because, unfortunately, COVID becomes a sort of a concealment of a lot of other issues, but but unfortunately, in this instance, you're correct. Uh, again, boredom, isolation, social isolation, particularly, and of course, distress and duress, gen- genuine uh, anxiety, and and the trauma that that kind of inflicts on people who are going through difficult times, not just you know relationally and and emotionally, but as you've mentioned quite candidly, there, Neil, uh, fiscal disasters you know in people's lives and of course uh, the alcohol has been the poor man's uh, the old saying poor man's antidepressant for you know millennia and it's kind of the, the quick and easy access it's socially acceptable it's legal if you're over the age of 18 and so getting it is easy and and the marketers and particularly the predatorial nature of the industry uh, and and the marketing has has been absolutely ruthless in COVID. and there's been a lot of push against that from the from our sector yeah, really concerned about you know, the nature of you know home deliveries, easy marketing online, uh, the uh, the lack of RSA responsible serving of alcohol and the training of delivery uh, agents and all those kind of things. And we were a party to some uh, endeavours in, in particular New South Wales because we work nationally, as well as in Victoria. The Victorian government pretty much overlooked all most of our submissions and and of our sector as well, which was, was quite concerning, including some major health departments, uh, health organisations in Victoria, basically glossed over it, whereas in New South Wales, they, they saw some changes to the uh, online marketing and delivery mechanisms and times and days. So that was, we had some wins there, but you're right. Ease of, ease of access, 
greater motivation or incentive, perhaps a negative incentive to engage, is creating another level of, of problems. And we're seeing that even in the last 12 months, been research coming out about the harms of alcohol and other drugs, obviously, but alcohol is the easy one to get and the misuse of that, particularly for the people who are locked down. Yeah. Shane, men are not off the hook here either, and it sounds like when we talk about FASD, it could be a conversation that's solely about women. Uh, The thing Mm. is that it's the women who fall pregnant, and there are some big unknown factors. Uh, Given around one-third of pregnancies are unplanned, uh, many women Mm. drink alcohol before they even know they are pregnant. This is where this gets so you know, very hard to control, doesn't it? Yeah, look, that is that is a difficulty. You know, obviously, uh, women have the what they call the proof of life. They're remarkable. Uh, men can't have babies, and uh, it's uh, you know, it's, it is a spectacular and wonderful thing. Uh, but yeah, there, there's also obviously a, a burden there as well in that sense of uh, women are the incubators, for want of a better word, terrible term. But you know, they, they carry this child, and their system is the child system. Uh, and so, therefore, the what happens to mum? Uh, obviously, in, it goes with with the, very much to the baby as well. I think that's a that's a, not rocket science if people understand that. So, the care of mum is not just about substances they put in their body, but how to look after themselves and how they are. All that's very important. So, general health and well being are vital for mum as they're nurturing their, their little one inside and that little one's growing. But certainly the addition of substances, and particularly alcohol, uh, alcohol because you know, it, it is, from the evidence in some of the stats you early mentioned, the, the Lancet that uh, produced a, a research that 428 distinct diseases and conditions that co-occur in people with FASD, and, and that's that's quite frightening. And it's the the leading cause of mental retardation. And so what mums put into their body is important, but it's not just about mum. And as, and as you've indicated there, uh, Neil, often women aren't planning. If you're planning to, to have a baby, obviously the recommendations are, the, the clear recommendations, strong recommendations are you don't drink alcohol at all. So if you and your, your, your partner are preparing to have a baby uh, and you're about to launch into that space, then obviously a cessation of alcohol use from mum, but also from dad, which we'll go into a bit later on, is really, really important. But as you said, a lot of women aren't necessarily planning to, to be pregnant and maybe drinking. But as soon as you find out you are pregnant, the best thing you can do is to stop drinking alcohol. Uh, and again, there's there's lots of variables in this. It's not just if you drink one glass of alcohol and you're pregnant, it's going to be terrible. There's so many idiosyncratic variables in this. And, and the data is emerging in the last 10 years, particularly about the... The, the limits and or non-limits of harm. And I've had stories where I've, we've presented to women's groups on this and I've had stories from, you know, yes, this is terrible. It's affected me too. You know, I drank like a fish when I was pregnant and nothing happened to my baby kind of statements. And so, again, there's the, we've got to be careful about anecdotes and we've got to be looking at the science and the evidence. So, yeah, very, very important that that, that uh, this is looked at clearly. And, and, yes, the burden does fall heavily on mum, but it also has, there's a lot now evidence coming out that men have a huge part to play in preventing this uh, incurable condition. Now, it's interesting when we talk about uh, community understanding of the challenges here. This is such a hard one to talk about, given, Mm. uh, you know, given when you talk about, you know, the popular image of uh, a woman having a glass of wine just to wind down, the idea Mm. that there's 
misinformation in the community about alcohol consumption during pregnancy. And, and uh, you know, a lot of listeners will be saying, well, uh, where is the information that is actually saying these sorts of things I'm hearing Shane Varco say today? Because a lot of people, this will still be like even new information talking about FASD. Yeah, tragically, that's that's true, Neil. And then it is, look, obviously we're in the sector, so we're privy to the data and it's obviously emerging all the time. And so it's like anything, if you're in a, in a space, you tend to hear about it. But this has been pretty heavily broadcast. I, I remember when we first started looking at this as an institute, you know, actively looking at this 10 years ago, when it was kind of in that early stages and burgeoning and there was rumblings about this. And it's been on the radar for probably a couple of decades, but it wasn't really seriously looked at till probably about 10, 12 years ago. And people started, and whole movements started emerging around this because it was like, we're seeing some pretty shocking statistical data coming out about uh, outcomes from this, and 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 obviously the the well being and capacity of the of the sufferer of FASD and that incurable gen, you know, predisposition now uh, is it was created some real concern, and people started looking into this and doing lots of research, and they started to realise how catastrophic this really is, and so the industry have come out there, the NHMRC, um, the National Health and Medical Research Council, they've come out with their, again with their guidelines. And for the fifth year, I think a year in a row now, I could be corrected on that, but I think it's the last five years, they've clearly stated in their guidelines, the alcohol, if you are pregnant or planning to be pregnant, that the no use of alcohol is the best way forward. So that, that's that been pretty much clear. So that's been across all the medical platforms in Australia. Uh, so there's, you know, if anyone's getting checkups and and going to doctors, that, that's standard clinical advice now. So that's pretty much out there. But yeah, certainly the FASD outcomes are not uh, have not been promoted as much as possible. The difficulty there, one of the difficulties, I'm not saying it's the only one, and, and but one of the difficulties is concern around stigma and the the idea that some you know, uh, women want to drink, don't want to stop drinking. And uh, so this is this fine line of, well, you know, you've got to look after your child and then they send that mounting sense of guilt that, oh, I can't stop, so therefore I'm injuring my child. And so broaching that, broaching that conversation and, and, and really talking about the severity of this in a way that empowers a person to change rather than simply putting up a, a, a you know, sort of a carte blanche negative horror story that, that they repel at and, and don't want to know and just walk away from. So you know, the old argument, if I don't know, it won't hurt me kind of scenarios is what seems has been has emerged in some settings. So it's finding that that line of creating awareness, empowerment, enablement, and education uh, without uh, yeah, with the appropriate. And this is the difficulty: more evidence that's emerging, the appropriate amount of alarm that needs to be set on this without creating that kind of repulsion that pushes people away. So it is a tricky one, and we're seeing that uh, become a little bit clearer, which is good. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest is Shane Varco. He is CEO at Dalgano Institute. We're talking about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And if you're wondering what that is, no doubt it's becoming more clear as we have this conversation today. Shane, you mentioned something very important just before we took that short break. And it was around the idea of an appropriate level of alarm because having a conversation like this today... 
might be for some people uh, saying, you know, why are we having a conversation about this? Isn't this just causing all sorts of alarm in the community? And maybe this doesn't matter so much. It might not be so important. Uh, But if you don't say something at all, you're at the other end of the uh, spectrum of where you might put alarm here. What are your thoughts around the idea of uh, talking about the issue, uh, addressing issues of stigma, uh, talking about just how serious it is and uh, and trying to do that in a sort of a, a balanced and uh, a common sense way. Yeah, look, I think I think it's it's like anything. We we there's always going to be reactionary spaces, and when when you bring into into the marketplace, you know, concerns about something that's people are often immersed in, and that's one of the one of the biggest issues is what sort of relationship does a person have with it, with alcohol, either male or female? And and it's that it's that intense relationship. And, and I would argue, obviously, the dependency that creates often a denial mode or a repulsion mode or a or whatever. The average person who has the occasional drink or is a social drinker or then they're going to be able to listen to the data and go, oh, okay, well, gee, I know that makes sense. Oh, we want to be careful. You know, I don't, I certainly don't want to smoke when I'm pregnant. I don't want to now drink when I'm pregnant. So those things wouldn't be a problem. But it's, it's, that's the tragedy. It's the ones who, uh, in this particular space, is that the, those who are heavy drinkers or have a dependent relationship on alcohol, this is, this is part of their routine of life. This is how they manage life and cope life. So they're daily drinkers. And it may not be a lot, but they drink daily, which in itself, in and of itself has a series of problems. We know from cancers and all sorts of other issues around alcohol. But yeah, when you're, when you're trying to be pregnant or are pregnant, then this becomes a real issue. And because, and I think this is the key issue here, this is a condition that is completely preventable. But it's also incurable. So the incentive for us is, hey, guys, this is one way to avoid a lifelong of grief, not just for you, for you, for you but for your child, because the, the ramifications of FASD and the various, you know, it is a spectrum. So there's all sorts of uh, issues that, that are held in that, in that spectrum. And it can be incre- incredibly severe, right, to very mild. But every single person with FASD will struggle at some point with issues that uh, those without FASD would not have to contend with. So that's one thing that should be a motivator. And the second motivator should be the, is the idea of uh, this is this is preventable, and, and but also incurable. So I, I don't want to, again, go, don't want to engage in a substance in a, in a process that's going to create a permanent fixture. You can't um, remediate out of this. You can certainly, uh, you know, obviously, you know, some quite famous people that we know of and I think believe are... Uh, the football ace and football tip and Woody, I think he, he is a sufferer, as I believe, uh, for FASD. His adopted, adoptive parents had to work very hard with him to help him manage and work through and learn and get through the learning disabilities and whatnot. So it is possible to, to get through certain issues, but the amount of work it entailed in his journey just to get into what we would most people take for granted was horrendous. So wonderful parents, wonderful adoptive parents that really invested heavily but most parents don't have that time or capacity. So, you know, we just really want to see uh, kids given the best chance of life and to start with the congenital defect that's incurable uh, or irreparable is um, is really putting them behind the eight ball. And we, and we just want parents to, to see that this is a, you know, a good option is to say, hey, guys, it's not about beating you up about your substance use, but it's about stepping you back 
say, hey, look, this is a good opportunity for you, but most importantly for your child. And no doubt there'll be some who are saying, well, Shane, the horse has bolted. Uh, I've got kids and I drank through pregnancy. And, uh, yeah, I can recognise there are some learning disabilities, behavioural problems. Uh, Where do I get help? But I'll I'll come back to some of those things uh, about where you might find some help uh, as we go with our conversation. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about FASD. Let's take a call. Jenny is in Henty in New South Wales. Hello, Jenny. Welcome along. Hi, Jenny. How are you today, um, Shane? Good, thank you. And you, Jenny? Um, Shane, I have a friend who is an adult who has this symptom, who has this um, syndrome. Um, for many years, we didn't understand what it was that she suffered from. And yeah. I quite agree with you. It does bring a lifelong, a life full of grief and all kinds of people prey on people like this because yes. they're so impulsive and they're so open to suggestion. You know, any little yep. suggestion, and even though other people may have said before, please don't do this, you know, because this is not a good idea, and somebody else comes in and says, oh, have you thought of such and such? Wow, you know, great idea, you know, and... We've just constantly been pulling her out of difficult situations that she's got into. Um, people are preying on her, bad relationships, um, people abusing her, all that sort of thing. Money problems, you name it. Yep. And I hear that in the Indigenous community, it is just rife. And it's only since it came really came to be addressed in the com- in Aboriginal community that people have realised that it was also in the European community but I'll tell you what it is it's not something you would like mm. it is not yeah. Jenny good insight there thanks so much yeah. for calling through uh, Shane what are your thoughts on some of the oh, things look, Jenny's raising J- Jenny certainly inventoried a lot of the, the classic symptoms of, of uh, you know moderate to severe FASD it, it you know impulse control is a huge issue uh, suggestibility huge issue issue ability to delay gratification huge issue I mean these are all Evidences of, of of drug addiction, you know, substance abuse. Those who are caught up in substance abuse, and of course, the development of the brain is interfered with from day one. So not that we're not, and so yeah, and and they are preyed upon, and that's the really uh, really disturbing thing. And because they're not classically diagnosed as uh, having a disability, or classic, this is this is a real issue that's emerging as well, Neil. And your listeners, it's now becoming important that we identify and delineate between the various you know, disabilities that do manifest. And FASD is a genuine cause if it's you know, diagnosed properly, a genuine cause of disability. And it puts the uh, the sufferer in incredible disadvantage in community settings. And so you know, what we're seeing is that, that protective uh, Behaviours, protective environments are very, very important. And and as it was so, as I mentioned before, what I understand of uh, Tip and Woody's journey, his parents were you know created not just about protective environments, but really working hard to instruct him about you know right choices and right ways forward, and 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 understanding the mechanisms and how he is going to be undermined because they did understand that he did have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And again, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected on that, but as I understand the journey. He's become public with that his journey, but remarkable the amount of investment needed to to bring about sort of a a, a 
stasis that enables them to, to function normally without being taken advantage of, without making impulsive or poor decisions. And unfortunately, behaviourally, especially at school, there, there can be early signs of, of behaviour, cognitive deficits, inability to, to concentrate, and of course, then behavioural issues that come about. And, and when teenagers, particularly young people and teenagers, you know, they don't understand or they become depressed, yeah. Then often, particularly with young men, and then depression often manifests as as anger, Fine. and so they behaviourally they start to act out, and then of course things snowball, and then they miss school, and and you can see what happens, yeah. you know, and then they can get involved in substance use because they want to deal with their. It's their a challenging time, Shane. I need to cut in. Yeah. We're about to go to Short news. Jump. I want to thank Jenny for your call. Shane Varco, I wonder whether uh, you've got any thoughts here. Is there uh, are there any Australian statistics? Around FASD, I know there's some international statistics around uh, things uh, in to do with Scotland. Any thoughts here on FASD in Australia? Yeah, look, I, I don't have the exact up-to-date data yet. It's one of the difficulties with tracking this particular phenomena is it's trying to delineate this from any other co-occurring condition. As I said, it's an umbrella thing, and often it hides, uh, it can hide. Uh, rather and, and not seen as either a contributing factor or a precipitative, a precipitative factor as well. So I don't have the exact data, but and again, it is emerging. Um, the like one of the anecdotal bits of data that came out of the US only about eight nine years ago, and again, anecdotal. Very important to state that it's anecdotal evidence, not not pres- uh, prescriptive evidence. Uh, is that one in four incarcerants? in the United States correctional system were actually FAD, FASD sufferers. Now, that actually makes a lot of sense uh, because, as I mentioned previously before the, the last break, was yeah, behavioural issues are a real concern. Again, impulse control, we talked about that previously, and and uh, inability to, to understand issues and, of course, the angst and frustration and anxiety and, and anger that that can facilitate and then acting out behaviours and then obviously disruptive behaviours can escalate and, and all of a sudden you're in, involved in criminal activity, particularly if you can be talked into it by uh, you know, unhelpful actors in, in the peer setting. And so these kids are really can be set up quite easily. And, and, and of course, if on top of that, you've got peer pressure and wanting to fit in and appear to be part of the team. So, again, all these factors contribute. So the exact data on, on FASD numbers in Australia, I don't have on me, but we do have on our website there and our section, Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder section on the website you previously mentioned. We also are affiliated with the National Organisation for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, known for SAD, and they're a great group and they are constantly monitoring this and this is their, this, their specific arena. So, they're very much up on the data and they're worth uh, pursuing them on that website as well. Shane, I mentioned early on in our conversation and uh, there may be women who are listening to us today thinking, uh, is this a conversation that's aimed only at women? And uh, we did say that it's women who carry the babies and so uh, they are the ones who perhaps have primary responsibility here. But men, on the other hand, not really off the hook here um, women at alcohol's one thing. Uh, is it okay then for men to drink as much as you like uh, when pregnancy is anticipated or during pregnancy? Uh, where's the? What do we understand about men in this whole issue? Yeah, it's interesting. Again, obviously we've spoken previously, and you mentioned it, Neil. That obviously the the incubator is obviously the key key driver here. But we know also now from the from the very formation of the gamete that is the starting of that child's life, 
the formation is the contribution of you know male and female. And so, therefore, the, the, the genetic con- contribution of the male is absolutely vital. And there some studies that came out of Korea about seven years ago kicked this this whole debate into a new level. And it's interesting that the, the research around this has kind of been either hidden or it's kind of gone under the radar a bit because it's created another layer of problem uh, problems for the alcohol industry because they've got some lawyers involved in this as well. It's interesting they're talking about and one such research piece had a quote saying, instead of focusing on irresponsible women who drink, we need to cast our net more broadly and develop policies in the population overall, including men. Now, a lawyer by the name of uh, Russell Goldflames made this statement, which I thought was fascinating, and I'll quote him. It shows an embryo can be affected at the time of conception by compromised semen from men who drink excessively. He also said the research could have profound implications on policy responses to FASD. Now, when you've got lawyers talking about liabilities and responsibilities, you've got to stand up and take notice. And so I think that's the point. It's not just, obviously, alcohol, uh, the baby being subject to alcohol consumption while mum's carrying the child, obviously, that's because alcohol does uh, jump the blood uh, brain barrier very, very easily. It's one of the substances that easily transitions through. So obviously, if the mum's drinking, then the, the fetus is subject to mum's alcohol. But it's at the outset too, at the very start of that child's life, that if dad is a, a heavy drinker as well, uh, or, or, or dad is a heavy drinker and mum isn't, that can still be a key factor in seeing FASD develop in that child's life. Again, the research is still emerging on this, but these are concerns that have been around for about seven years now. So we're seeing that this is a real problem. And men, and this is not just a woman's issue, this is a responsibility of all of us in, in, in the culture, and but particularly of those who are planning to have a child. Let's come back to this issue of stigma, because mm. this is a tough one, isn't it? I mean, everybody can be thinking, uh, I wonder if I'm the way I am because my mother drank during pregnancy, or uh, how do I address these sorts of things when I see these sorts of symptomatic behaviours in my own children that uh, I might be taking the blame for some of that? Maybe I'm feeling guilty about these sorts of things. This stigma issue is huge on this issue, Shane. Look, I think clearly that's a problem. And and none of us, and like anyone, someone, someone points a finger at you, I don't know about you, but your first response is to defend. And we we all do that. It's it's a natural response, not always the right response, because awareness is a really key issue. And I think one of the problems about um, assigning blame is that it's an old principle. When you assign blame or you're looking to assign blame, what it does is decrease awareness, because people are too busy being defensive. So the idea is to talk about the realities of this, the potential of this, and then investigating that if this is in fact reality for a particular family or a particular individual. And then rather than saying, well, that was your fault, mum, you know, clearly fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is the result of the, the, the parents and their parents' alcohol consumption. So we don't need to point the finger at that, but what can we do to move forward? And I think helping parents come forward is really important rather than saying, well, I don't want to, I don't want to have the finger pointed at me. I don't want to be blamed for this, uh, even though, you know, obviously there's a responsibility factor there. It's not about blame. It's about taking responsibility and then acting in a remedial fashion because, as I said before about you know, young people that, are, that struggle with this and the various 
uh, levels of severity on the spectrum need a lot of support, a lot of help. And if you're too busy denying or you're too busy avoiding or you're too busy deflecting blame or too busy trying to play it down, then you're not actually engaging in a protective and remedial process. And that child needs all the help they can get to develop well, or as best they can be at the current circumstances they find themselves in. Let's talk through the scenario. Uh, you're listening to our conversation today and you think, uh, yeah, my kids are affected this way uh, or I've got relatives. Uh, there are people I feel responsible for in my community. And you ask the question, Shane, where do I go for help? Uh, is there such a thing as a diagnosis? Uh, am I going to open a can of worms if I do have a diagnosis? Uh, what are your thoughts here about uh, people listening to our conversation today uh, saying the horse has bolted, uh, I need help in this area, where do I go? Well, I think the great study point is to just talk to your medical professional, obviously a doctor, uh, and if the doctor's here, you've got a family doctor that's known your history and you've been transparent about your history, that you are a, a drinker and you've seen the doctor before you were you were pregnant or you found out you're pregnant, I'm sure the doctor would have said, hey, uh, you know, you've, you've said you do like a drink. How about, you know, we look at you know, slowing that down or prevent, even better stopping that while you're pregnant, that, you know, that that conversation should have been had if you've got a regular doctor. Unfortunately, a lot of a lot of people don't have that, but certainly women who are planning to have children would be seeing a professional of some kind. And any, you know, the healthcare nurse, they'll all be saying the same thing. The guidelines are provided, are clear. So every healthcare professional in this space dealing with a pregnant uh, woman or pregnant family, let's say mum and dad together, would be speaking to this space. So secondly, I think more important, behavioural issues, and this is where it gets tricky. I mean, you've got this new... And this is where the, the shadows and, 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 and smoke come. Um, the increase in what the ADHD behaviour, uh, hyperactivity and... Uh, um, oh, sorry, the other one, sorry, ADHD disorder, and often it can be blamed. You know, the argument is, oh, that's just bad parenting, uh, which can be true. Um, no one's arguing that can be just you know, neglectful, uh, absent... Uh, uninvolved parents who let children do whatever they want, and then say, "Oh, my child's hyperactive and and got attention deficit." That's the word, attention deficit. That's you know they've got a condition. Give them a pill. But in reality, that that could be a manifestation of FASD if the parents had been drinkers whilst pregnant. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it could be. And this is this is the issue. So uh, there are there are emerging tests and uh, that can happen for the child that that. They're enabled by medical professionals now, and they, they were, the medical profession is far more adept now at engaging in this space. And they're they're still arguing about you know disability categorizations, but there is a very strong and very clear mandate now to to deal with this. And I think one of the the previous caller mentioned the the indigenous population in one of the studies that really brought it to the fore. Tragically, was the uh, Fitzroy River uh, community that saw a huge. Uh, significant number of FASD cases and, and that was brought it to the, the national headlines but it wasn't an Indigenous issue as she rightly said. In fact, we know per capita outside the Indigenous community per capita use of alcohol is far higher in the non-Indigenous community than in the Indigenous community and, and consequently so is the outcomes uh, it's including FASD and other you know domestic violence issues. So the Indigenous communities aren't the problematic in this space, it's the non-Indigenous communities have a bigger issue with alcohol than they do. Although, unfortunately, the Indigenous communities tend to get 
more attention, uh, which is tragic in that sense because that adds to the stigma, the potential stigma for that community, which is unfair because the data is clear about their consumption levels uh, compared to the non-Indigenous communities. So, yeah, I think getting help is really important and, and getting your, talking to your doctor about this or your healthcare professional, your, your mothercraft nurse or your um, healthcare nurse or whatever you're dealing with. And, and there, there are now processes and diagnoses that can be, uh, can be weighed into to, to determine whether this is actually the condition that your child might be suffering from. Shane, the idea of generational consequences, because we're talking about uh, mothers uh, giving birth oh, yeah. to children yeah. who might be, have these sorts of challenges, and then those children, if they're not in some ways uh, brought to a place of being able to understand what's happened to them, then the same thing's likely to pass on to the next generation. So. Is there a way here? What are your thoughts? And perhaps I'm just asking more a personal opinion. If you're able to then have an intervention uh, between generations and put an end to uh, the sort of uh, FASD effect on families it's, as it's been passed down, is, is there a place where you can stop this happening? That's a really good question because that's, again, a multidisciplinary approach. Because Just take, for example, let's take FASD off the table. Let's pretend it doesn't exist. Um, you still have it's interesting what we find in communities that uh, are raised in. Um, I've got to be very careful of the language used here because of you know we don't want to be accusatory, but uh, you know environments where low low what they call um, low low socioeconomic areas with uh, domestic with substance abuse issues, those kind of cohorts. Create already create a deficit, a psychosocial deficit for the for the child, children anyway. So neglect and abuse are more likely in those settings. I'm not saying guaranteed, more likely in those settings, and all behavioural developments create their own problems. So like anything, with children, are, like I mentioned this before, children are like wheelbarrows, you know, and and whatever whoever fills them and whoever pushes them for the first ten years of their life determines significantly determines their future. So if neglect, abuse, and bullying, uh, substance exposure to substance, substance abuse, exposure to psychosocial uh, trauma, then what happens with and bullying, what we see now is that cohort are more likely to act out, not always will, but are more likely to act out in similar ways and engage with substances, regardless of FASD. So then you throw FASD into the mix, a predisposition, genetic predisposition for poor impulse control, uh, cognitive decline, cognitive inabilities. And then on top of that, you place all those other factors, those co-occurring elements. Then you've got a really horrible cocktail. Now, as we saw with, and again, I'm referring to Tip and Woody for want of a better example because he's quite famous. And as, I as again, as I understand his story from what I've read in media, is that he was abandoned by his birth mother and he was adopted by a couple who, again, had to deal with the behavioural issues of neglect that, that, that came about from neglect and, and uh, that, the experience at hand of his birth mother. But then he also had to deal with, they found that he had FASD. So, you know, a loving, protective, structured, disciplined, high-invested environment has seen this young man learn how to study basics so he could, he could graduate school, took a lot of work, to get through a lot of extracurricular activity, a lot of tutoring. He got through it. He played a lot of sport, which helped with his development and his camaraderie and his connectedness. So he had a loving home environment, good sporting connections, good peer environment, great values, 
great values instilled into him, as well as incredibly supportive, protective environments. Now, that's seen a young man now, you know, and he's got a long way to go, but he's a young man playing at the highest level of sport in this country and getting paid handsomely to do so. And so he's now in a place where when he, uh, if he chooses to have children, then he is he's not going to pass on a defect, but he is going to be able to pass on what he's learned. And if he's not a drinker and his wife's not a drinker, then the chances of that child having FASD, well, you know, virtually zero in that context. But certainly everything that we do behaviorally, relationally, values, all impacts, as we've spoken previously on this, impacts our epigenome, which is part of the way that uh, we've been created and designed to operate so we can develop and co-create. And so it's really important that people understand that all things, all things we do, not just substances and toxins, but behaviours and values and relationships, all those things are important for helping a child uh, develop. And even if they are behind the eight ball with FASD, they can still, uh, you know, obviously develop and have uh, many full and, and valuable and all life is valuable, of course, but contributing life, regardless of what you know, they may be seen by others, they can be a, a person of value and significance and make a difference as well. But it's just going to be a lot more difficult and a lot more work needed to do that. Shane, whenever I see reports, you know, every now and then there's uh, media releases around guidelines on how much you can drink uh, and, uh, you know, beer or wine, and uh, there's rarely any discussion about this at all. Uh, what are your thoughts around uh, the, the question, how much alcohol can I drink, uh, and guidelines that are given? I mean, how, uh, how attentive do you have to be to, uh, to look at those guidelines? What are your thoughts here? I think there's an old saying by, uh, I think it's Malcolm Muggeridge, I think he said, uh, people don't believe a lie because they have to they believe a lie because they want to. And that's the difficulty with substances. If people are engaged and this is part of their, their culture and they enjoy it and this is what makes their, you know, gives their life a sense of pizzazz, then it's a difficult one. Any, any data, like all of us, confirmation bias, we only hear what we want to hear and we ignore what we don't want to hear. But the industry has been challenged on. Unfortunately, we still have an industry that self-regulates when it comes to its advertising and marketing, which is outrageous. As much as parliaments are trying to rein that in, it's difficult to get that because, unfortunately, the industry is a big supporter of most political parties. Uh, but it, getting labels on bottles, uh, talking about FASD, as we do with smoking uh, with tobacco, labels of you know smoking causes death and causes this, um, that kind of been trialled, and the potential of that is still there. But, yeah, the industry... Excuse me. The industry has to put labels on their bottles, on their particularly on wine. You know, bottles saying uh, alcohol can cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. That's still very much a push. There's been trials of that, and so but creating awareness on, on every front is really important. We've seen it. We've seen that definitely seen a shift uh, back from the edge of this, which is great. We've but there's a long way to go, and the uh, the industry keeps pushing back or ignoring the issues. Because it you know, obviously diminishes their profits, and the addiction for profit industry is always, always wanting to make sure they can push their product, and they can guarantee a, a customer base because addiction <laughs> guarantees uh, demand. And so you know we want to see that change. We want to see more information out there. As I said, all health departments and and most government agencies are now pushing pretty hard against this about this sorry issue. But we need to see the industry be brought to account on this more and more. And I think that's that's what's happening in the sector. Well, you certainly need the wisdom of Solomon to navigate a way forward in this whole issue. Uh, tomorrow, 
On the ninth hour, the ninth day, the ninth month, it will be International Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Day 2021. And to find out some more about uh, FASD, uh, you can go to the website of the Dalgano Institute. It's dalganoinstitute.org.au. Dalganoinstitute.org.au. Shane, uh, just give us a little reflection here because tomorrow is uh, the FASD yep. day. When people go to dalganoinstitute.org.au, uh, is it easy to find good information there today? It, it, it is indeed. You just go to the uh, under advocacy on, on the on the top menu, and you'll see a whole list appear. And of course, down the bottom right corner, it's very clear: fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. There's a whole uh, web page. Uh, section there dedicated to this and obviously we have other resources because this is not our forte certainly on our radar and part of what we do as an organization of educators on this area alcohol and other drug issue but there are obviously uh, specialists in this space as i mentioned before the national organization for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is one of those key organizations that we support and refer to so there are all their data on there including a fasd handbook which is uh, uh, it can be downloaded as well for the use of people who may think that, that this may be part of their world. So the resources are all there now. Well, an important conversation today, FASD, uh, no cure, but it is 100% preventable. Dalganoinstitute.org.au. Shane Varco is the CEO at Dalgano Institute. It's one of 300-plus member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. And Shane, always appreciate your wisdom, your insights. Thanks so much for a great, clear presentation about FASD today on 2020. Look, always a pleasure, Neil. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.